Holy moly, we've got a very special thing going on. This is the 200th interview. Not the 200th episode, but the 200th interview, which I think is worth celebrating. So whether this is your first time joining us on this podcast, or whether, God forbid, you've been there since the early days when things were a little looser and a little more rough than they are now. Well, either way, I appreciate you. I appreciate you being a listener of this podcast. We have been on quite a journey over 200 interviews with some of the most awesome and influential game changers of the entire world at this moment in time. I would encourage you, at the risk of making myself look very bad, to go back through the back catalog, look through some of those guests. Some of these people have been doing and continue to do truly outstanding stuff, and this episode and this 200th episode is going to be no different. So there's no commercial, but just a heartfelt thank you. Who knows where the show is going to go from here, but I do know that it has been a wild journey so far, and thank you for being a part of it. Hi, I, I'm Dennis Kent. I beat the often path by uh, inventing new ways to grow and control cells. Welcome to the show in this very special, get this, 200th interview. Yes, that's right. I'm joined by Dennis Kent right here, the co-founder and CEO of Prolific Machines, a biotech company at the forefront of sustainable and healthy food. Starting his career with notable research in cancer immunotherapy at the University of Bristol, Dennis has been recognized for his contributions to science, including winning the award for outstanding contribution to research while at GlaxoSmithKline. Focusing on asthma, Dennis is now a key player in cell production for agriculture, aiming to make cultured meat competitively priced against conventional farming. With over $40 million in funding raised and support from people like Mark Cuban, Emily Ratajkowski, whose name I'm sure I'm butchering, and Sierra, to name just a few prolific machines, is redefining food sustainability and accessibility. So here right now is Dennis Kent. I'm Ross Palmer, and this is the 200th episode of Beat the Often Path. So 200 episodes, what are we going to do? I feel like we have to celebrate this in some way. Um, would you honor the guests by doing 200 push-ups on camera for the next 30 minutes? <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone wants to watch that, Ross. Oh, man. <laughs> but that's what the people really want to see. Uh, no, oh, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. <laughs> You're joining us from... From the Bay Area, just up the way, and if you can hear a little pitter-patter on the roof, it is currently pouring in my neck of the woods, so treat it like an ambient relaxation podcast, where the, <laughs> the sound of the rain will gently lull you to sleep. But I'm very happy to have you here, Dennis. You're up to some really cool stuff. So talk to me about this project. How did you get into this? What are you doing, and what's the significance of it? Yeah. How did I get into it? I ask myself that question often. Um, and oftentimes yeah. you wonder why you got into it, maybe. <laughs> oh, God. How did I get into this? Yeah. I think it was a, a confluence of uh, my professional background, which was as a scientist, and my personal interest, which is uh, in climate change and and meat, and it kind of all came together with, with Prolific. I really love eating meat. And I feel terrible about that. And I would like to stop eating meat, but I am not a good enough person to do that. And so I tried being vegetarian for nine months and I couldn't make that work. Mm. And I would like to feel less bad about my meat consumption. And so I, I like the idea of cultured meat because the, basically the, the, the value proposition is that we can have exactly what we want but without any of the negative externalities. And there are many negative externalities of eating meat right now. Uh, 
greenhouse gas emissions that come from the animals, uh, massive amounts of land usage, massive amounts of water usage, uh, pandemics that are created by factory farming, um, animal rights issues. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole bunch of problems. And, um, and the demand for meat is set to double. And so there's all these problems with how it is today. And if we are doubling the number of animals, then those problems will amplify. And I, I'm aware of all of those things, but I still can't stop eating meat. And so uh, I, I think we need a better way of doing this. And I know that I'm not the only one who feels bad about eating meat, but still can't stop. And so um, one option is that we come up with like meat alternatives, and those have not been doing very well for a combination of they don't taste very good or they don't taste yeah. much or like tough people, market. people generally don't want it. And yep. so the value the value proposition with meat with cultured meat is that you can make meat that is indistinguishable from uh, what comes from an animal because it is made from the same things, the cells of the animal itself. Um, and then in the process of inventing technologies to do that, uh, predominantly around trying to bring down the cost because cultured meat has been made, but no one really has a way of doing it at a price that people will be able to afford. And so Prolific has invented a way to do that. And the, our plan in cultured meat is to make this available to all of the major meat companies and to make this available to all of the other cultured meat companies as well, so that we can basically be the infrastructure layer that uh, allows them to produce meat affordably. But then in the process of doing this, we realized that we were building this toolkit to control cells that would be useful in a whole bunch of different areas. And so now we are talking to uh, people who want to make antibodies, people who want to make cell-based therapies, people who want to make uh, tissues for drug screening, and then people who eventually want to make organs for transplantation. And what we've realized is that a sort of cultured meat is sort of the tip of the iceberg. And there's so much yeah. that you can do with cells. Cells are... Uh, a massive part of the economy. So like the foods that we eat are made from cells, uh, the medicines that we consume are made from cells, the clothes that we wear are made from cells, the fuels that we use in our cars are made from cells. And so we can be made from cells. Today I learned, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so cells are everywhere and being able to control them and grow them uh, uh, and, and, and in an efficient and affordable way is is, is valuable in, in a bunch of different areas. So that's kind of what we work on. Sure. Uh, well, I, you know, I applaud you. I applaud <laughs> you for feeling bad about eating meat because I can assure you, based on good data, that that is something that no YouTube commenter has ever said. They're sitting there typing right now, everything you stand for is wrong. I hate you. They're, they're hitting enter on that comment right now before they leave the video. So at least you recognize there's a problem, which is which is great. Um, and I'm fascinated by learning about the implications of solving this problem. But there is, of course, like you said, with the plant-based meat and other alternatives, there is it's a tough road to climb. And there's a tough hill to climb, road to climb, whatever. It's a, it's a steep road is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but you've got... On the one hand, lots of support, you know, people raising funding with companies, and there does seem to be a receptive investment climate for this type of, of business. And yet you have the statistics, like you mentioned, which is still very small. It's a tiny percentage of the overall meat market. Like you said, the meat market is going to double in the next, you know, by 2050 or whatever. 
Um, so why is it, do you think, that the investment climate is good for these types of ventures on the one hand, even though public demand may not yet be caught up? What's going on that is happening there? Yeah, well, as I'm not sure that the investment market is good for these types of investments okay. outside mm -hmm. of Prolific, I mean, Prolific uh, has had all of our funding rounds oversubscribed and there's a lot of people that want to give us money, but yeah. generally speaking, that is not the case for most cultured meat companies. Okay. Um, uh, I think that the, 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 the important pitch with cultured meat is that it's not an alternative. It is actual meat. And that is something that, you know, people who are working on plant-based meat or mycelium-based meat or bacterial meat or whatever, like whatever you, however else you want to do it. <laughs> Try um, them all, yeah. <laughs> it's not meat, right? Because meat is made from animal cells and cultured meat is also made from animal cells. So the, 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 the ingredients between our meat and factory farm meat is the same ingredient. They're both animal cells. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference is... How are you getting those animal cells? Uh, in you know conventional factory farming, you are getting them by growing up animals and then slaughtering those animals. Uh, with cultured meat, you are still using an animal. You still need at least one animal because you need some cells to get started with, but you don't need billions of animals. You just need one. And then what you do is you take some cells out of that animal and you basically put them into a into conditions that mimic the animal. So you put them, you put the get the, the 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 temperature right, the humidity right, the the CO two right, the oxygen right, the nutrients right, and the cells basically believe that they are still in the animal if you can get those conditions right. And we, we I don't know if you've ever been to a brewery. Um, uh, once or twice, my parole <laughs> officer says I'm not allowed to go back. Though. That's another story. <laughs> so if you've been to a brewery, uh, you'll have seen those big uh, metal tanks that yeah. uh, ferment beer. This is this, this essentially what a cultured meat process looks like. It's very similar to fermenting beer, but instead of uh, putting in yeast, which is what you do for beer, we would put in cow cells or chicken cells or pig cells or what, tuna cells, whatever it is. And so we're kind of already doing this we're just not for meat. We're doing it for a whole bunch of other things. The fermented the fermented foods are everywhere. Yeah, um, talking about it. Yeah. It's just no one's been able to 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 really crack this for meat yet. Right. But I think that eventually, I don't know how long this will take. It might be ten years from now. It might be a hundred years from now. But I think that eventually people will stop calling cultured meat cultured meat, and they'll just call it meat. It's kind of like uh, like with ice. I don't know if you, if you, you no, I mean, we're like both a taco too young Bell, to taco. remember this. We're both too young to remember this, but mm. there was a time when people got their ice from glaciers. <laughs> and, I've seen the opening and, of Frozen. I know that part. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and when people invented machines to make ice, yeah. uh, everyone was freaked out by the machines right. that were making ice. And then everyone was calling those ice machines the ice that came from those ice machines, people were calling it artificial ice. Right. And people were calling it artificial ice for a very long time. But then eventually people realized that it was kind of a pain in the ass to go to the glaciers every time you wanted ice. And uh, these machines were just way more convenient to make ice. And it was, you know, cheaper and it was more efficient and uh, it was less of a pain in the ass. 
And then people were like, well, why don't we just stop going to the glaciers? Let's also stop calling this artificial ice. And then then people started calling it ice. And so I think the same thing is going to happen with cultured meat. Right now, so people this was the, uh, the first is. time uh, that people were afraid of AI, you might say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's terrible. That's so sorry. I interrupted you for a truly awful pun. Continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, now we're using it for photos okay. to make them look marginally better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what you mentioned on your website, you've got this, you're talking about cells, rapid tech like cars. I've read Henry Ford's um, biography, autobiography. I can't recall which one it was. Very interesting stuff. Everybody knows what Henry Ford has done for cars and assembly lines and all of that. And that's an analogy that you use on your website, which looks great, by the way. It's a lovely looking website. Um, and you mentioned trying to be sort of the Henry Ford cell production, which sounds cool and innovative and awesome, but I have no idea what the hell that actually means. So what yeah, are we talking so, about when we talk so, about that? Yeah. So the, the, the reason why we use the analogy is because we think that cultured meat today is quite similar to where the automotive industry was uh, in the early days of cars. And what people don't realize now is that in the early days of cars, people thought that cars were a terrible idea. Everyone was like, where the fuck would you use a car? Like, we have horses. Horses are great. Um, cars are a terrible idea. This was, this was the pervasive opinion at the beginning of the automotive industry. And what changed it is uh, money. What changed it is the cost of cars plummeting. And the cost of cars plummeted uh, when Henry Ford invented the assembly line for cars. And so... Uh, I think the, the same thing will happen with cultured meat. So right now, a lot of people don't really understand what it is or don't know what it is. Many people think it's a bad idea. And then when the costs of cultured meat uh, are lower than the costs of factory farming, which is what I think we're heading to um, and what Prolifix technology enables, and the quality of the meat is higher. So we, for example, we already have more protein gram for gram. We have more iron gram for gram. So we can have nutritional advantages and lower cost. Then people will, will switch over, not because they care about the animals or because they care about the climate. Some people care about those things, but the majority of people just care about themselves. <laughs> and, and, I fully agree and, with you there. And that... That is why we use the assembly line analogy is because people started using uh, cars really when it became super cheap and super convenient for them to use cars. And I think the same will be true for cultured meat. People will start buying cultured meat when it becomes super easy and super convenient for them to do so. And until then, they won't, um, which is why we're interested in working in cultured meat. I will say that we're not a cultured meat company. We're a biomanufacturing platform that can be used for anything. So... Uh, anything where cells are useful, we want to be the infrastructure layer, including but not limited to meat, which is <laughs> right. <obvious. laughs> well, we'll jump into that in just in just one second. I just wanted to ask, with the meat, to make it give that authentic taste, do you inject it with antibiotics and microplastics just so you really get that true experience? No antibiotics, no microplastics, and and it, it, it's you, you think I'm going to spend advantages. It's one of the bucks advantages. For that. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the advantages of, of cultured meat is that you have uh, controlled conditions. So 
you know, yeah. with, with, with factory farming, people, people die every year from food poisoning, sure. uh, which is basically a, a result of when you're slaughtering the animal. One of the things that you have to do is slice open the, the gut and the gut is basically like a big bioreactor full of fungus and bacteria. Yeah. And also, so that basically like explodes everywhere and it goes all over the meat and then you have to bleach it to try and get it off. But inevitably, uh, you some of the meat becomes contaminated and 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 some some of the people that eat it end up getting ill. One of the things that we can do is we can grow those cells in conditions that we know have no pathogens in them. And so we can basically guarantee uh, no foodborne illnesses from our meat, which you won't get with uh, factory farming. Um, so there's a number of interesting uh, advantages to this, aside from the fact that it's 90% less greenhouse gases, more than 90% less land, uh, more than 90% less water. Uh, those are all things that you kind of have to be a little bit altruistic to care about. There, there are lots of uh, boring. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of just very there's lots of just very personal visceral. Yeah. To do this. Um, um, I don't know about you, but a few years back when they told everybody it was on the news that we eat a credit cards worth of plastic per week wow. these days in microplastic form, you know, m most people took that as a bad thing. I took it as a challenge. I tried to eat more <laughs> plastic. I'm up to two credit cards worth now. So you're getting in my way. Um, that's only a credit card. Pfft. Here's a bottle cap. Uh, yeah, how do you down. do that? How do you how do you maximize? Oh, you know, just bits and pieces. I think like a bird. If I see something shiny, I pick it up with my beak and I just I swallow it without chewing, much like a duck. Um, but okay, so we've got this credible technology which applies to anything. Mm -hmm, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. I'm just in my own little world. The rain is falling down. I'm in my own little cave. Uh, We've got this incredible technology. Cells can be in anything. All right, great. I finally feel slightly smart enough to pass my freshman year biology class. All right, cells, they exist and they're important. I'm with you so far. Mm -hmm. What is the connection between meat and this strange type of cultured meat production of which you're clearly somehow different than all of the others who aren't oversubscribed in their funding round and other general cells for all kinds of stuff? Um... So what's different with 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 uh, us is that we've invented a way to grow these cells that doesn't require many of the expensive inputs. So the most expensive input in cultured meat is called uh, recombinant proteins, and we basically have found a way to eliminate them. Um, and the reason why it's significant is because these recombinant proteins make up more than 90% of the the costs of, of growing cells and not just for cultured meat, but for other applications as well. Um, so basically it, it, that's one of the things that one of the tools in the toolkit, but really what we've done is uh, built a toolkit that can control every function inside the cell with extremely high precision and extremely low cost. And we'll be coming out later this year with uh, uh, a big press release outlining what this platform is and how people can use it. But it's more of a, a, a toolkit than we're, we're more of a toolkit provider than a meat seller. Think of us like that. So we want to be like the underlying technology that meat companies can use to produce their meat rather than being the meat company ourselves. Um, so what else can we do with it? Enlighten well, so me much is made of cells like you and I. We are just big bags of cells, right? Some more than uh, others. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm a big bag of cells. You're something I, else. I, I, You're something I, I, better. 
I think I think I'm a I'm a I'm a, a a big bag of cells too. We are all we are all big bags of cells. Okay. Um, Agree to disagree, but yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, cells make a lot. Like if you if you think about like why people die, most people die because uh, of a tissue failure or an organ failure. And so if you can make tissues or organs for people, then it's basically the fountain of youth, which is a little scary uh, because it will make climate change worse. But that's one of the things that we're working towards at Prolific is being able to make tissues and organs for people. And so that will uh, transform human health. Uh, but the same technology will also be used to make steaks and sashimi and all of these other things. So there's a massive amount of parallels between what we're doing in cultured meat and human health. You just change the cell type instead of it being a cow cell, you use a human cell. Um, okay. Well, at the risk of fully solidifying my ignorance, is this similar to the prospect of what stem cells once offered us, that you could sort of put this in something and it can grow? Is, is, are we talking about something fundamentally similar? Yeah, so we use stem cells. Okay. You don't have and, to use stem cells. Like, okay. what defines a stem cell? I did my PhD in stem cell biology, so <laughs> okay. what, def what defines a stem cell <laughs> is, hot, hot, is hotly debated. Okay. Uh, in, in, in my opinion, the cleanest definition is uh, a cell that can both self-renew and turn into other cell types. Okay. Um, and that's quite a broad definition of stem cells. Uh, and so... A lot of cell types that wouldn't typically be characterized as stem cells, if you define them like that, would be considered a stem cell. Uh, we don't have to go into the weeds of it. But um, yeah, stem cells, there's not just like one stem cell. There are uh, lots of different types of stem cells, dozens okay. of types of stem cells. And somebody out there thinks you're an idiot for believing in one over the other. <laughs> is that is How hotly debated is this? Are there arguments, uh, wars being fought? Very hotly debated. <laughs> I used to be in I used to be in the liver stem cell space and like how the liver regenerates is a very hotly debated topic amongst a very small number of people who give a shit. Um <laughs> That's also the alternative subject for my podcast. That's the alternative a very small number of people who give a shit. That's that's I'm after episode 200 201 we're doing a rebrand um to that. But I'm glad you do. Uh okay, so yeah, that's uh, you know, we've got a big, crazy idea, and you said, contrary to my belief, that it's a difficult space to be in or the investment climate's maybe not so positive. So describe to me your path. Were you always entrepreneurial? How did you get these big names like Mark Cuban and all these people? Like, What were your tactics to actually get the support, and what was the messaging that you had at an early stage that hooked people? Um, well... I think the most important thing is is doing something that actually adds value. So we got all of these investors because we uh, solved a problem that is quite large. Um, and the support is as a consequence of being able to solve a problem that is real and large. So I think that's the most important thing, identifying the problem uh, and then finding a way to solve it. Uh, the support will follow from that as long as you're working on the right problem and have a way to solve it that's compelling. Um, but it's, it's, it's interesting because there seem to be two realities in the world where there, there are these quote-unquote obvious problems, but we seem to disagree as a species about 
what a problem is, much like stem cells, which, by the way, in case you didn't know, there's a lot of debate about what a stem cell actually is. I actually did my degree in that. Um, but uh, people are definitely wondering, you know, um, what constitutes a big problem worth solving, right? I think, wow, look at the earth, look at this, look at fossil fuel usage, look at meat consumption, look at a finite planet, and we have no plan to draw down concrete, steel, <laughs> ammonia, plastics. We have no plan to even mitigate our consumption of these finite resources, not to speak of lithium and other things. So not everybody seems to agree that that's a big problem. Surely scientists agree and many intelligent people agree, but I'm not convinced that solving a big problem necessarily means that somebody else will agree that it's a big problem or agree enough to say, I want to fund that big problem, especially when you're talking about celebrities or random celebrities, right? So yeah. how so, do you mean, get them to people, agree and acknowledge in this weirdly politicized I mean, world? Definitely not everyone will agree on what constitutes a big problem, yeah. uh, but you don't need everyone to agree. You just need enough people to agree. Um, and I mean, like with meat, for example, uh, it's, I think, pretty unequivocal that we are structurally constrained. So just to give you an idea, 70% of total arable land in the, on the planet uh, is either used directly to rare animals or... Uh, to grow the feed that we use to to, to feed the animals. That's a crazy number. That so 70% of total arable land. And if the demand for meat is doubling, then that's going to require 140% of our total arable land, which Matt is a number out. that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Because you can't go above 100% of arable land. <laughs> Because you run out of arable land. And so <laughs> Note to it, self, it can't doesn't, go over 100. Okay. You it. can't. There's no going over 100%. <laughs> unless you, like, you know, whatever, find a new planet or something. Okay. Um, but uh, and even then, that. you don't want to take the cows into space. This is not a good idea. Bioreactors uh, <laughs> bio, bio are a much better idea. Um, so, I mean, yes. that's a good, that's, that's a, in my opinion, an obvious example of somewhere where we are structurally constrained, right? So we know that meeting this doubling in demand by doubling our existing supply of animals, it can't work because we actually don't have enough land for this. Even if we wanted to, we would not be able to. And so that to me constitutes a problem, right? Yeah. Because there's this doubling in demand. I would tend to agree. Existing supply can't double. Independent of climate change, independent of animal rights, independent of water, independent of pandemics, just the land argument alone is strong enough. Um, mm. And when I make that argument, uh, people agree. <laughs> And I'm not the only one making this argument. To be clear, this is not an this is not an original opinion. This is yeah. widely agreed. Uh, and so, if the, so, it's kind of a paradox, right? It's like if we can't if we can't meet the demand with doubling the animals, then how do you meet the demand? Well, if it's through the alternatives, then those alternatives aren't doing very well. So it's that's that doesn't seem like it's the right option unless they get dramatically better, which I hope they do. Yeah. Um, but to me, cultured meat kind of solves this paradox, which is mm. we can't do it with doubling the animals and we can't do it with the alternatives, then why don't we just make the meat that exactly people want, mm. uh, but without the negative externalities? So yeah. that to me is uh, a compelling value proposition. And 
if you have the technology to do it, like Prolific does, then uh, I think there's always going to be interest. Like the reality is that there's always more people with money than there are people who are doing something really uh, interesting and important. Like that mm. ratio is always going to be like that. So the really great companies, I think, will always get funded. And if you are uh, not doing something that's really important, then then uh well no being doing like then you you, you'll struggle to get funded but yeah uh, right as as i have no i'm just kidding (laughs) Um, i mean i think i think i think (laughs) podcasts are very important you know you're like getting getting the word out we're getting the word out we're hopefully challenging the educating people yeah about that future and and trying to reach some sort of consensus obviously about what problems are worth solving and certainly god knows what a stem cell is or should be and the dangers (laughs) of artificial ice which i'm still hammering on about forget artificial ice i just can't trust it not enough microplastics that's the other tagline we've got um yeah because filtered water you know so here's the thing you know i have studied uh, i've been a part of the vegan community and um i mostly eat plant-based i'm not allowed to call myself a a vegan and nobody cares who's listening to this so that's the last i'll say about that but one of the compelling arguments is you look at the cow which is this massive thing and what do you get out of a single cow 500 pounds of beef i'm not entirely sure but it's some let's say 500 pounds of beef and of course, in the course of its life, it's got to consume thousands of pounds of grain, it's got to consume water, and it needs medicine, antibiotics, it needs land, and once it grazes on that land, you can't use that land for something else, this arable land you're talking about. So for me, it's hard to imagine that it wouldn't be cheaper not to have to raise this giant mammal from nothing to that size over the course of its lifetime. So what is the struggle? People always talk about making it cheaper. Why is it hard to make it cheaper? Why isn't it cheaper right off the bat, which of course would flip that switch overnight maybe? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So uh, you're absolutely right that one of the problems uh, so that okay, so let's take a step back. That why is meat bad for the environment? From a climate change standpoint, there's two problems. One is uh, methane, which is the problem that is more widely understood. The methane is not caused by the cows; it is caused by the bacteria that live inside the guts of the cows. And so these bacteria metabolize the food that the cows are eating and uh, produce methane as a product of that metabolism that is then burped and farted out. So <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. I was going to press you. Yeah. It's not the cow's <laughs> fault. It's the bacteria's <laughs> fault that are inside the cow. Yes. Um, and, 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 and you basically can't have the cows without these bacteria because they need the bacteria in order to metabolize their food. That problem is relatively well understood. Uh, and has got a lot of publicity because methane is much more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. People are starting to understand the methane thing. There is a second problem that is far less well understood that you alluded to in your question, which is a problem of calorific conversion. So unfortunately, you have to feed 25, roughly, calories of feed into a cow in order to get one calorie of beef out of the cow and the primary 
And the primary reason for so twenty five to one is like not a good trade off. Yep. Uh, and the primary reason for this is because the cow has a lot of processes that are energetically expensive. So, for example, consciousness is an energetically expensive process that we are paying for with the calories that we are putting into the cow, but that we don't want. Like, if you ask someone who's eating a burger, like, do you really care whether that came <laughs> from something that was conscious or not conscious? Either people would say, like, the fuck are you talking about? No. Yeah. Or they would say, I would actually prefer it to be not conscious. Uh, but, but, but consciousness is something that we are paying for and is expensive. Yeah. Just to give you another example, an immune system. An immune system is extremely expensive. So a single molecule of antibody, a single antibody costs 17,000 molecules of ATP. And ATP is like money for the cell. It's like the energy <laughs> currency of the cell. And so these cows are going to be making huge amounts of these antibodies and immune cells. It's very energetically expensive. If you ask someone who's eating a burger, like, do you care if that burger came from an animal that had an immune system or not? They'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? No, I don't care. I just care about whether this burger tastes good and is good for me yeah. and if I can afford it. And so there's all of these processes that we are paying for, but don't really need or want. And so cultured meat, so our cells can convert calories at roughly a ratio of two to one, which is, you know, an order of magnitude better than the cow. So, uh, that's a good thing. <laughs> we, okay, and, yeah. we, and, and the cells, our cells also don't produce any methane, right? Because remember, the methane doesn't come from the cow cells. The methane comes from the bacteria that are living inside the cow. And our bioreactors, which is like the big steel tanks that we grow the cells in, don't have any bacteria. They just have cow cells. So, our, our tanks don't produce methane. The cows do produce methane. Our tanks can convert calories at a conversion of two to one, not 25 to one. So we're better for the environment on multiple fronts. So why is it still expensive? Right. It's expensive for the same reason that cars were expensive when they first came out. Anything that is new always starts expensive because we don't know how to do it <laughs> and it takes us time to figure out how to do it. The processes and the infrastructure doesn't exist. So you have to figure out how to do all of these things. The suppliers don't really exist. So you have to get them to be created. This whole You have to create a whole ecosystem. And creating a whole new ecosystem takes time. So everything starts out expensive and then becomes cheaper over time. You think about like, it's basically the case for everything. Um, so if we have this conversation, if we're still alive in... Uh, 10 or 50 or 100 years time, I think cultured meat will be extremely cheap. I think it'll be cheaper than traditional, uh, conventional factory farm meat. Just when McDonald's and Taco Bell, when they flip that switch and their ground beef taco is that, and the cheaper thing, uh, yeah, whatever's cheaper will be adopted. I think that's obvious because now people aren't making the decision of their food on the basis of what's best or healthiest. And, and that's an unfortunate thing. That's not a criticism of the individual people. That's the system, right? If you can't afford organic, grass-fed, free-range, this or that, you're going to get the cheapest, highest caloric density meal you can, which means you're going to fast food and you're going to work that out. But if, of course, your solution can become the default in a number of places, then obviously, and it's cheaper, you're going to get adoption on that fact. Somebody says, hey, but the real meat is better. Well, if it costs more, 
people people aren't going to do it because they're trying to save money. And Oz is real too, by the way. I I, I disagree yeah, with this framing sure. of what well, is. Well, okay, no, you're, you're right, you're right. But you know, you can non-fictional. <laughs> you can anticipate the backlash, I think, and the, yes. the lobbying and the politicization of it. You know, and and of course, like everybody sure. will immediately adopt it. But what's going to happen is there's going to be campaigns against it, and these well entrenched totally. industries are going to fight, and they're totally. going to paint it in the public perception as artificial ice, much more damaging than glacial ice. <laughs> Or cars, much worse than old Bessie, the trusty horse that's gotten you everywhere for the last five years. 100%. And and that's the case with every new innovation. Right. Every time humanity tries to do something new, the incumbents attack the new thing. Like that is the status quo. It's the default of how we plot along as a species. Um, And this is also the reason why I think podcasts and other forms of media have an important role to play here, which is that the public should hear the counter-narrative. They should not just blindly trust what they read right. on some uh, uh, journalist's webpage that behind closed doors is getting paid by X, Y, or Z. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's all about the expanding of the consciousness, right? It's expanding what somebody might think is possible and stretching those ideas a little bit there's a lot of fear around what's new, especially in this time. There's fear of new technology and people are saying, oh, we're getting burnt out on technology. And for the first time, we're questioning whether we appreciate the narrative that big tech has been selling us for the last 20 years. You know, will technology make our lives better? Will it make it worse? Are we happier with all of these gadgets and social media? People are asking these questions day by day. And I think it's hard to have an open mind and just ask questions about, okay, but what's what's going on here and what's exciting and how can we drop our preconceived notions of things and really just explore mentally? Because I believe that that exploration is where all great things come from. Just the ability to ask a question without a predefined, narrow-minded answer. Totally. And to say, you know, let's talk to this guy. Let's talk to Dennis and see what he thinks, because clearly you're up to something important. You know, whether we agree with it or not, you're doing something that's building a team and you're doing something that's getting interest and you're making momentum happen. That's obvious. So I just want to seek out the people such as you and and hear what you're saying, because I think it's cool. And I hope more people feel the same way. I appreciate that. Of course. Uh I'm clearly biased, but I also think it's cool. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And, you know, as you're studying science and you've spent your career learning and you're studying and then you've come across this point where you have this practical application of stuff that you've been studying and and learning. And then you assume you have this opportunity and you say, okay, I'm going to go for that. I'm going to build this entrepreneurial enterprise. And, you know, up till now, anything can happen. But it seems like you've been rewarded for that, which is great. Um, But again, it's all about as you learn stuff, you see patterns. And I think you only learn and see those patterns if you have an open mind. If you're closed okay. down, you probably wouldn't have made the leap from what you were doing at, what is it, Axo Smith Klein or something like that, uh, you know, in, or in college, and then getting to meet and then making that further leap to, hey, this could apply to organs and other types of cells. Which actually brings me to an interesting ethical question. Um, Cell-based cannibalism, immoral or not? Human (laughs) (laughs) consumption, (laughs) unethical or ethical? Um, (laughs) 
I'm not. I'm not an eth. I'm not a, a an this team of lawyers I'm is scrambling I'm not behind the and they're like, I'm not the. I'm not the arbiter. I am not the arbiter of what is or is not ethical. Uh, I'll say that, which is that uh, I don't think I don't think that people want that, and we are not yeah. making that. So we are uh, we are making meat from yeah. the cells of animals that people right. already eat. Right. Now, but you could have uh, like cell tours hypothetically. Right? Hypothetically, holy mammoths. Hypothetically, extinct. you could make meat from any species. Dinosaur technology. You could make dinosaur meat. You could make woolly mammoth meat. You could make meat from any species. Right. Uh, we are starting with uh, beef, but are interested in in doing all of the major uh, major meat sources. So chicken, pigs, tuna, salmon, beef. Uh, and helping companies do that, but yes, you could do it for any cell, any any species. Um, you, you navigated that minefield very well. I'm not going to impress you. That was a spur of the moment. Um, so, is this something that you want? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it occurred to me. I was thinking, you know, soil and green. It's people. <laughs> like you know, these are the dystopian futures we dread so much. We dread soil and green. Like you know, but there is. You know, maybe they didn't understand that in Soylent Green it could have been ethical, perhaps, right? The assumption in that movie was that you're you're harming human beings with consciousness, not just their cells. But we can move on <laughs> from that. Um, yeah. So, uh, okay. So when getting the word out to potential customers, um, what has been the most effective? So, you know, aside from investors, when spreading the word to the, you know, to become that platform that you're trying to become, what's been the most effective tool for you? to pitch and sell and, and get your customers? So if you are uh, another cultured meat company or if you are a pharmaceutical company that is interested in uh, novel biomanufacturing technologies, you can absolutely reach out to me. Uh, my email is dennis at prolific-machines.com. Uh, very open to having those conversations. We haven't really told the world about what we're doing. We're planning on doing that later this year and then uh, basically trying to uh, convince the existing uh, industries to switch over to this new biomanufacturing technology. And in order to do that, we are uh, going to be launching our own meat product, uh, but cool. not because we want to be a meat brand, but because we want to Proof prove concept. that we can do it yes. and people want it. And so we also have a wait list on our website for uh, meat that you could buy from Prolific if you want to do that. So feel free to go and join the wait list if you're interested. Um, so yeah, we haven't really we haven't really embarked on the the interacting with the world that much yet. We've very mm -hmm. much been just figuring out our own stuff and making sure that everything works. And we've got all our ducks in a row, and that we can make meat that is. Uh, really tasty and more nutritious. So we've been doing these blind taste tests with investors and 67% of investors in blind taste tests are preferring our meat over a leading factory farm brand, which is great. Ooh, that's um, awesome. Um, so yeah, we'll be doing more stuff like that. And if you follow us on LinkedIn and uh, you'll get the updates. Uh, okay. So best case scenario, five, 10 years, you mentioned in our lifetime, this is glacial ice pace, um, these types of changes. 
you mentioned you know, what, what's realistic here in five, 10 years? Is any type of meaningful change realistic? Or are we really looking at, you think, a decades long, 40, 50 years from now, maybe moving the needle type thing? Yeah, I think, I think like all real change, real change happens slowly. And so yeah. I think that within five to 10 years, cultured meat will become a reality. There will be a set of early adopters. Like with any any new thing, there's always a set of early adopters. I'll they try it. A small section of the market. Yeah. I think the early adopters for cultured meat are likely to be people who really care about the climate, people who really care about animals, uh, people who are really interested in like pushing culinary boundaries. So I think it will usher in like a new era of culinary exploration for chefs. Because, you know, one of the things is that you don't have to be limited to cuts that exist in the animal. You can make completely new cuts. So you can have marbling patterns that would never be, that never happen in a normal animal. Or you can basically design your own cuts of meat. So these are all, I, I would put all of the, in the, in the early adopter camp. I think that will happen in the next five to 10 years, people people getting access. I mean, cultured meat is already on the market uh, in the US, um, but admit, admittedly in very small quantities and at very high prices, but on the market nonetheless. I think in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see more of that. You're going to see a lot more cultured meat companies get approved. Um, and you'll start seeing cultured meat on more restaurant menus, more supermarkets. But I, I then I think that, 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 that there's going to be this larger transition, which is like, when does it really become, when does it go from artificial ice to just ice? And I think that's going to be a function of cost. So it's like, it's like with solar panels and uh, fossil fuels, right? solar panels really started getting deployed at scale once the cost of the solar panels became less than uh fossil fuel equivalents uh so i think the same the same thing will be true for for meat and that will require require prolific and other companies to build massive scaled facilities which uh you know are, are being built right now will take time uh we're building our pilot facility right now and then after that, we'll be building our first commercial facility. So that's going to be coming online around. Um, so there's lots, lots is going to happen in the next decade. It's a very exciting time. Well, it sure sounds like it. And I'm very glad I got to sit and talk with you and learn a little bit about that and get a, a pre-press release insight, insider baseball <laughs> into what's coming down the pipeline. I, for one, am very much looking forward to it. And I will happily give it a try whenever it does find its way into edible. Awesome. Form. I'll join the wait list on our, on our website. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Can you bump me up? Like, is there an extra yeah. spot for media? And no, I'm just kidding. I'll, yeah, no, I'll, you, I'll put myself you, at last come, last come. You can check, check something out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's been fantastic talking to you. I, I wish you tons of luck. I mean, it seems like on a great trajectory. Uh, again, I think it's personally cool probably does fall in the category of things that a very small number of people care a lot about, but I do. I care about it. I think it's very interesting. I think it's awesome. And I'm excited to see all of these new angles. And I've talked to all of them. One of the guests I just had is injecting pig protein into soybeans. So you cut open a soybean and it's eating pork. I mean, that's there, there's crazy shit that's happening out there right now. And I'm just trying to figure well, out all of it. Crazy shit. Yeah, it all seems interesting, though, and this seems super cool, and, and you're getting validation from much more important people than myself on that. So, um, yeah, 
I know you've got places to be, so I won't keep you, but you know, thanks Thank a you, lot Russ. for, for was, joining. And it's it was been fun chatting. Pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, with that, the official podcast is over. Well, that's it. That's the 200th interview all wrapped up with a neat little bow on it. What a fascinating story. I mean, my goodness, what a smart guy and what a brilliant plan and a brilliant company and uh, what a forward thinking individual. I'm so honored to have been able to sit down with Dennis for this episode. I really hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And if you would like to learn about more game-changing people building a better future, well, I've got some news for you. We might actually indeed be changing the name of this show in the upcoming episodes and maybe even the format of the show because, you know what? Beat the Often Path is a little bit hard to say and it's hard to remember. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to former guests who have said, oh, it was great being on Off the Beaten Path. And I said, no, no, that's not the name of the show. It's Beat the Often Path, but it's not something that rolls off the tongue. So the point is this show may be changing. 200 feels like a nice round number to do things differently. So stay tuned for what that might be. It might be more original content. It might be a rebrand but something soon is going to change fundamentally after 200 episodes of doing this thing. So I hope you'll stick with me for the journey as this road turns. And again, I appreciate you being here up until now. Thanks for listening, and I will see you soon on whatever comes next.